Whether it's 5, 10, 30, or even 90 years, each of us has only a short time to live in relation to eternity. So how do you make your life count for things that matter? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And as always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at our website, Radical.com. Net. And be sure to stick around at the end of today's episode to hear about a special report from Radical's global strategy team releasing this week on the podcast. Well, in today's message from 1 Peter chapter 3 and 4, David Platt points us to the infinite value of Jesus Christ, the suffering Savior, risen Lord, and triumphant King who alone is worthy of our total allegiance. Though suffering may come, God's people are blessed when they suffer for the sake of Christ. Here's Pastor David Platt with a sermon titled Christmas Hope, The Life That Counts from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to chapter 4, verse 11. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look along with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I want to share just a couple of updates before we dive into the Word. Uh, One, I want to reiterate my encouragement to our church family to give over and above our regular giving here at the end of this year for the spread of the gospel in and through our church. I've got to share with you, we received, I won't share the whole thing, but we received a letter this last week from a principal of a school down in the district, and I'll just read the first part of it. It said, get this set up, it said, This is the way it starts. I would guess she was in her late 60s, frail. She stood there bleeding from her lip and nose. She had walked with a cart several blocks to pick up the boxes of food we were handing out and had fallen, busting her lip and causing her glasses to cut into her face. One of the volunteers from McLean Bible Church stepped in, grabbed a first aid kit and began cleaning her wounds. She still had blood dripping down her face despite our best efforts and was clearly in crisis beyond her current predicament. The food boxes did not fit in her cart, so the young volunteer offered to carry them back to her house despite the risk of going to a stranger's home in a less than safe neighborhood. As this young volunteer began to pray with the still bleeding lady, I turned and looked at the rest of the volunteers, leaning next to car windows, praying, carrying heavy boxes to car after car in a line that seemed longer than any we have had since the beginning of this pandemic, encouraging those that had arrived in need. The principal goes on to say, thank you for giving and coming to our neighborhood in a time of need like no other. And church, I'm so proud of you. So let's keep giving online or otherwise, let's keep going together into a world in need. Then second, I want to let you know that mclanebible.org slash Christmas is now online with all kinds of information. As we lead up to Christmas, we will have a running Christmas program every hour starting at noon on Christmas Eve for you to watch with your family or friends or neighbors with your group or to invite others to watch. It's a great opportunity to share the gospel. So let's push it far and wide, and then here at Tyson's, as well as 
at Prince William and Loudoun will have in-person Christmas Eve gatherings. You can register to be a part of those, much like the registration process works on Sundays. Uh, so that's all at mclanebible.org slash Christmas. The theme for that online program is a, wor- a Weary World Rejoices. It's going to be a powerful picture of the gospel as we draw 2020 to a close. Today, I actually want us to start our time in the Word by asking one of our students here at NBC, Ava, to read the Word we're looking at today from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, verse 13, all the way to chapter 4, verse 11. Before I do, though, I want to remind you that we're getting close to the end of the challenge to memorize 1 Peter chapter 1, so next week, be ready, and we'll see how much we can recite together. But this week, we have a pretty long text, and I'll have it here on the screen as Ava reads it, so you can follow along here or in your own Bible. So, Ava, thanks for reading. Let's dive in. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought to safety through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subject to him. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the same flesh, Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that passed suffices for what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that through judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 
Thank you, Ava. The reason I asked Ava to read this passage today is because I am really concerned about the kind of Christianity that we are passing down to the next generation. In our church and in the broader church. A couple of weeks from now, I'll be helping lead what's called the Cross Conference. It's an event that I've been a part of for years. It's fully online this year for 18 to 25 year olds specifically. Anybody can be a part, but it's designed for 18 to 25 year olds. You can find out more at crossforthenations.org. But one reason I'm really passionate about this particular age group is because of how formative those years were in my life, in setting the trajectory for my life. And this week I was recording a conversation for this conference with John Piper, and the conversation revolved around a sermon that John Piper preached 20 years ago when I was finishing college. I wasn't actually at the conference, but I heard his message later, and it affected me in a way I still remember today. So I wanna do something a bit different. I wanna share with you the first seven minutes or so of that message, because even those seven minutes specifically are still etched in my mind 20 years later. And I believe they powerfully summarize the point of what Ava just read from God's word. So I wanna invite you to watch this with me. You'll have to get past the feel of it being a couple of decades removed from our day. But here is John Piper speaking to tens of thousands of college students gathered in a field 20 years ago. Watch this with me. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. Which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want 
is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old, healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell, and that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. That's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places, and 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked. It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy.
That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement. Collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. I share this video with you because I believe what we just heard is exactly what Ava just read. In First Peter, God is saying, you don't have to know a lot of things in this world in order for your life to count. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. A few basic simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them. So I want to ask you today, do you want your life to count? Children, teenagers, do you want your life to count. College students, young adults, do you want your life to count? Single women and single men and husbands and wives, moms and dads, do you want your life to count? Senior adults, do you want your life to count? Do you want to avoid wasting your life on what doesn't matter in this world? And we've seen it all throughout this series, pictured in this rope that represents eternity past in that direction, eternity future in this direction, and Life here, like we've got a little bit of life here, represented by this blue part. Maybe 60, 70, 80, 90 years, if God gives us that long, knowing not one of us is guaranteed to even get to tomorrow. 
It's a mist. It's here one second, gone the next. It's going to be over soon. I did a funeral a couple of weeks ago. It's always a sobering thing to see a coffin go down into the ground. And all of eternity flows from that moment. So how do you make this life count in light of this life that's coming and will never end? How do you make this life that will end count in a way that will never, ever end in this life? I think that's a really important question. And very simply, I would say God is saying to us in his word, be gripped in this life by three things. Just a few things. Simple, glorious, obvious majestic, eternal, unchanging things such that you live for them and you die for them. What are they? Well, let's hear from God. One, that's how I'd summarize it. And I'll show it to you in 1 Peter 3 and 4. Be gripped by the reality that Jesus is the suffering Savior the risen Lord and the triumphant King who alone is worthy of all of your love and all of your life and all of your hope. That's the first thing. If you're taking notes, that's a lot to write down. You might be thinking, David, I thought you said these things were simple. That seems long. Well, if you want, you could just write down, Jesus is Lord. But my concern is that those words for many of you will sound dangerously commonplace in ways that lead to religious complacency because you cease to feel the weight and wonder of them. And that's what I'm after. We'll come back to this screen in a second if you're taking notes, but I'm after the weight and wonder of the words that Ava read in verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ Jesus the Lord as holy. And I want so badly for us to feel what that means. To feel what it means for Jesus to be the suffering Savior. So chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also, Jesus, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. So let's stop there, especially those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. Here's what that means. God created you and me and all of us to know him and to enjoy him, to enjoy eternal life with him. But you and me and all of us have turned against him, from him. We've sinned against God and our sin separates us from him. And if we die in this state of separation from God, we will spend all of eternity separated from him. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But God loves you, me, all of us so much 
that he sent his son Jesus. This is the meaning of Christmas. That baby in that manger, this is not a fictional story. This is glorious, life-changing, world-altering reality. This baby in that manger was God in the flesh who came to live the righteous life that none of us could ever live, a life of no sin. And then he came to be put to death on a cross to pay the price for our sins so that all who trust in him can be brought back to God. Get the picture, Jesus was born to suffer and die on a cross so that we could be brought back to relationship with God to have eternal life with God. And we know we're talking about eternal life because once Jesus died, he didn't stay in the grave. Jesus did what no one else and all of history has ever done, he conquered death. He was put in a coffin, put in a tomb, and three days later, later, he was made alive. He rose from the grave, alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, that's where this passage gets really confusing. These words have baffled Bible commentators for 2,000 years by what they mean. Some say Peter's referring back to the spirit of Christ, preaching to people in Noah's day when people were refusing to listen then. Others believe this is talking about Jesus going to the place where fallen angels from Genesis chapter six dwell and declaring victory over them. And then it's even more confusing when it starts talking about baptism, which to be clear is a symbol of salvation. But I'm not gonna try to explain all the unique wording in a few minutes here. Instead, I want you to see what is plain and obvious to anyone reading this passage, whether you're a new Christian studying the Bible or an experienced Bible scholar, just look at the progression in this paragraph. It starts with Jesus suffering at the hands of unrighteous sinners, dying, and then being made alive. Keep going on to verse 21, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then follow this, it ends with Jesus going into heaven where he's now at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So just feel the weight of that progression, especially in the shoes of followers of Jesus in the first century who, so we've talked about this, were going through all kinds of suffering and persecution and experiencing harm and evil as followers of Jesus, and they were tempted to lose heart, and the Bible's saying, no, don't lose heart, look up. The same way my brother or sister today walking through suffering and hardship in 2020, don't lose heart, look up. Jesus suffered all the way to the point of death and then he conquered sin and suffering and death, rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of God. And victory over all, the triumphant king, all angels, authorities, power subjected to him. See Jesus. So now here's the picture. See the suffering savior, the risen Lord, the triumphant king. There is no one like him in all of history. 
No one like Jesus. No one as loving as Jesus. There is no one as awesome as Jesus. There is no one as beautiful and wonderful and majestic as Jesus. No one as holy as Jesus. So if you want your life to count in this world, you will realize this. Makes sense, doesn't it? You'll waste your life in this world if you deny or ignore or pay religious lip service to the holiest being in all the universe. No, if you want your life to count in this world, you will regard Jesus as supremely glorious and you will put him in the highest place in your life and in the world. You will assign him the highest value in your life and in the world. You will love him far more than you love anyone or anything else in this world. You will cherish Jesus far more than you cherish anyone or anything else in this world. You will admire and exalt and bow down on your knees and on your face and you will worship Jesus as your love and your life and your hope. This is why I have been so zealous during these last months to plead with you not to put your hope in a person or a party or even a country because there is only one king who's worthy of all your hope. And we must not, we must never tie his church to any person, party, leader in this world. There's only one name who's worthy of that in this church and his name is Jesus. This is why in nine months of pandemic I've pleaded with you and do so even now. Don't put your hope in an economy, in a bank account, in a job. Don't put your hope in medicine. Don't put your hope in the things of this world. That's a recipe for a wasted life because in an instant, it's all gonna be gone. And the only thing that will matter at that moment is did you hope in Jesus? Do you see it? Do you see it, students? High schoolers, middle schoolers, elementary school, don't live for love, hope in what your friends think about you. Don't live to be liked here. Don't live for this world. Don't do it. You will waste your life. Live for love, hope in Jesus. He's supremely better than everything this world offers you put together. See him. Love him, live for him, die for him. And parents, show what this kind of love and life and death look like. Parents and grandparents, show what it looks like not to live to accumulate bigger and better barns here, but to lay down your life in love and allegiance to Jesus alone. Show your kids and your grandkids what a heart looks like that loves Jesus. The depth of your being. Don't show them a Christianity that merely consists of going to church on Sunday mornings or turning a service 
on from your home. Don't show them a weak Christianity and a puny Christ. Don't do it. Show them the supremacy of Jesus in your hearts, in the way you pray, in the way you love and study and read and memorize God's word, in the way you talk about Jesus in the world, in the way you spend your money and everything you do. Honor Jesus the Lord as holy. Love him, live for him, hope in him. Can I just illustrate what I mean by that? By love, live for hope in Jesus. Let me introduce you to Anna. She just finished our last Christianity 101 class in which she came to know Jesus. And I asked her to summarize what happened, what has happened in her life. I just want you to watch this with me. Hi, my name's Anna, and this is a small amount of my journey with faith. So I grew up with a family um, who believed in God. Um, we went to church on Sundays, and then when I was 17, my parents divorced. Um, the divorce was particularly painful, as they are, um, and it shook my faith in religion. Um, I continued to believe in God, and I continued to pray, but I had no religion. Um, for about 17 years after that, I chased... Um, I ran very fast um, and I tried to fill this God-shaped hole in my life uh, with anything and everything that I could. Um, I knew that there was God, I knew that he was somewhere, I just couldn't seem to be able to connect with him anywhere. Um, and I ran and I ran and my journey got darker and darker and darker and I, I did things I'm not proud of and I've been to places I had no business going um, and I experienced a dark night of the soul where um, I felt like I was not redeemable and that the things I had done were not redeemable and that God would never forgive me. And um, and then my story continued um, and I began to see God saving me. I began to see that God was there with me um, and where I had turned from him, he never, ever turned from me, ever. He never left me. And so um, by the grace of God, I stepped into recovery around almost eight years ago. And um, I have been on a journey, a long journey with God. And um, at the beginning of this year, I began to search specifically for Jesus. I had a peculiar dream with a very strange visitor um, and it sent me on a journey uh, specifically for Jesus. And um, I, I went to the dentist and I remember thinking, I, I want my spirit guides to help me. And instead of my spirit guide, when I closed my eyes, I saw Jesus and I thought, what is Jesus doing here? This is so weird. But I just went to Jesus and I hugged Jesus and I had this dental surgery and it was very scary, but Jesus was there. And so um, I I wanted to specifically find somewhere that studied the Bible. And I, I knew about McLean Bible Church because of the crazy traffic. And so um, I went online and I do the online sermons during COVID. Um, it's been... It's been such a blessing in my life. Um, my journey specifically to Jesus and finding out who Jesus is has been incredible. And at this time of year, this is my first Christmas where I really um, studied Jesus instead of just kind of God, um, which is what I called him before. And, you know, I'm learning about Emmanuel and God with us and what that means to have Jesus come to earth and die for us is just, it's blowing my mind. And I'm learning this constantly um, with the Bible studies I'm doing and with McLean Bible Church. And um, I'm so grateful for God redeeming me and not leaving me and letting me know that no matter what I've done and where I've been, 
he loves me. And um, it's the love I think that I've always searched for my whole life. And the love of God and the love of Jesus has specifically filled this hole inside of me. And now I get to be uh, a wife and a mother um, and I get to show up for my life. And I'm so grateful for that. Thanks. As I heard Anna's story, I thought, you know, every Christian has a different story of kind of the twists and turns, but they all end up at the same place, at Jesus. Like to hear Anna say, she had this spiritual sense, this God-shaped vacuum in her heart. She's searching in the world, then even in spirituality, Ultimately, she met Jesus and she realized this is the love I've been looking and longing for. The love of God, the love of Jesus has filled this hole in me. And now, now, did you hear that line? Now I get to show up for my life. Yes, yes, Anna, yes. Now with the love of Jesus in your heart, you get to show up for life. God, help us to get the point here. If you don't love Jesus with all your heart, you will miss out on life. And I'm urging you, every single person listening at this moment, don't miss out on your life. A life that is only found in love for Jesus and setting apart Jesus as holy in the depth of your being. You will waste your life if you defy or ignore or pay lip service to the most glorious being in the universe. Life is found in love for him, hope in him, life now and life forever which is the second reality that grips those whose lives count in this world. Men and women and students whose lives count in this world realize are gripped by the reality that heaven will be eternally satisfying. Hell will be eternally horrifying. And every single person will go to one of these two destinations very soon. You, you let yourself be gripped by this, it'll change the way you live in this world. Are you, are you gripped by this? This contrast that we see all throughout this passage between two eternal destinations. So let's start with the eternus, eternally satisfying hope of heaven. Verse 14 said, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. What does that mean? How is that possible to be blessed in suffering? I thought blessing was the opposite of suffering. Not when you know Jesus. I mean, I think about our brothers and sisters in North Korea right now who are enslaved in labor camps because they are followers of Jesus. And barring a miracle, they will wither there until they die. Are they blessed? How is that possible? Well, follow this. They are blessed because they know 
that labor camp is not the end of the story for them. They know Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Same language in 1 Peter. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You see it? Blessing and suffering is a reality because the kingdom of heaven is coming. Remember, this is the constant theme in the book of 1 Peter throughout what we've already looked at. Jesus suffered for righteousness' sake. Now he's in heaven, which is why. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. How did Jesus think? Hebrews 12, also speaking to Christians in the first century who were being tempted to abandon their faith and suffering, says... Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, we'll just skip the first part, he endured the cross. How? How did he do it? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus think about suffering and endure hardship in this world? By keeping his eyes fixed on the world to come, on joy to come that will last forever. This world right here, it's not easy. We know this. It's filled with pain and hurt. And this picture in 1 Peter, persecution, and God is saying to us in his word right now, the key to life in this world is keeping your eyes on another world. You want your life to count in this world? Keep your eyes focused on another world. You want to waste your life? In this world, look around you and live for what you see. Live for more stuff, nicer stuff, bigger stuff, better stuff. Live for more acclaim, more success in this world. When you get to this moment in a nanosecond, it will all be gone. All of it. What did Jesus say? Mark 8, 36. What is it? profit a man to gain the whole world like you can have it all and lose your soul miss the whole point don't do it God says don't do it don't live for this world look to another world which is why when you get to chapter 4 Peter starts talking about people who are living it up in this world and they're surprised people when they don't see you join them, live like them. They may even malign you. But, verse five, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Did you hear that? You, I, every single person in the world will one day give an account before God. Feel the weight of this. That shell illustration from John Piper is not made up. It's coming soon for you and for me. We're all going to stand before God to give an account. And all who have loved and trusted in and hoped in and lived under the lordship of Jesus 
will enter into eternally satisfying future with him. But for all who have rejected Jesus or toyed with Jesus in a life of religious motion, devoid of relational intimacy with God, for all who have not loved and trusted in and hoped in and lived under the lordship of Jesus, hell will be eternally horrifying, eternally hot. Jesus warns us, Matthew 13, just as the weeds are gathered, listen to his language, it's not my words, it's not words of an old preacher. This is Jesus who loves us saying, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be, it will be at the end of the age when it's all said and done, the Son of Man will send his angels, they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And do you hear this? Do we hear this? People whose lives count in this world, they hear this and they take it to heart. They don't hear that Heaven will be eternally satisfying and hell will be eternally horrifying. And every single person is going there and think, what's for lunch today? I'm just ready to move on to the week as normal. And we stop and we think about this. This is every single person. It's our lives and every single person we know. Let's just feel the weight. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The Bible says the end of all things is at hand. And this is coming, it's coming soon. Eternally satisfying heaven, eternally horrifying hell. Every single person going to one of those two destinations, that changes the way you live in this world. That changes the way you view this world and what's important in it. Which leads to the third thing that grips those whose lives count in this world. When your life counts in this world, you are gripped in light of the two truths we've already seen. It just makes sense. You realize the purpose of your life on this earth is to proclaim the gospel while doing good. Right? Like we don't even have to go to the Word to see what it's going to say next. It's so obvious. If you hope in Jesus, and in a hurting world, you point people to Jesus. You tell people about Jesus. If you know every single person in your family, every single person in your workplace, every single person in your neighborhood is either going to heaven or hell, and it all hinges on trust in, hope in, faith in, love for Jesus, then you proclaim this gospel. You tell people. This is why right after, we saw it in verse 15, right after, honor Christ as holy in your hearts, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. And don't miss it. This is why these followers of Jesus in the first century were facing persecution because they were proclaiming the gospel. 
Don't miss it. So don't just jump to the doing good part. We'll get to that in a second. But these brothers and sisters of the first century weren't being persecuted, imprisoned, eventually killed because they were nice people doing good things. Our brothers and sisters in North Korea right now are not being put to work in labor camps just because they're nice. It's because they proclaim Jesus as Lord. And so, all the more so in a place by God's grace in the world where we have freedom, where we don't, we don't have to fear imprisonment. Like we proclaim Jesus is Lord. There's, there's not one single person you will interact with this week who doesn't need to know Jesus is Lord. Not one single person you interact with this week doesn't need the good news of the suffering Savior, risen Lord, and triumphant King. They need it. And God's put us in this world. God's put those people in each of our lives to proclaim this good news. Yes, as we do good. Which is all throughout this passage to be zealous for what is good. And we've seen this all throughout 1 Peter already. I mentioned verse 15, be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason the hope is in you, that's proclaim the gospel. Then right after that, do it with gentleness and respect, with a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It's better to suffer for doing good. You get to chapter four, verse two. The Bible talks about not living for passions of this world, but for the will of God. And Peter just lists out right after this all the ways the world lives and says, you don't live like that anymore. You're living for another world, which as a side note, just think back to Anna's story. Did you hear the way she talked about those dark years she was running from God to places she is not proud of? I asked for her permission to share this, but Anna was addicted to alcohol, various drugs. Do you think Anna wants to go back to that life? No way. She's been saved from that life. She's not showing up for life. She wouldn't go back to that which, she doesn't want to go back to that which leads to death, right? So how much more so Christian brother or sister, should we all be this way with sin? Like if Anna wouldn't go back to drugs and alcohol. Why? Do brothers and sisters go back to pornography? Back to a life of anger or gossip or slander? Back to materialism. Like God has saved us to live a totally new life. Don't go back to that which leads to death. You've been saved from it for a new life. Leave the ways of this world behind. That's why Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded by knowing you will stand before God 
at any moment to give an account for your words, your desires, your deeds. Be sober-minded, self-controlled. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. What a picture. Like Peter, all, he just keeps coming back to love each other. Love each other. Like this world is not easy. So love each other here. A love that covers over even offenses among God's people. One commentator said, and when I read this, I just prayed this over our church, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses, even some large ones, are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding, and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. No one likes being in a relationship where you're always walking on eggshells. You feel like somebody's just ready to pounce on every word or even a wrong look. God says, don't live like that with each other. Time is short here. Love each other earnestly. Give grace to each other that you've been given for me, which is the theme in the next couple verses. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then with the gifts of grace God has given, you serve one another. You see it. You put it all together. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, our love, our life, our hope, and heaven and hell are coming one day to everyone, then we realize the purpose of the blue here is to proclaim this gospel while doing good, to wake up every morning gripped by that purpose. And I'm asking today, based on God's word to us, are you gripped in these ways? Are you gripped by these things? What happens when an entire church decides these realities are going to grip us? And together we're going to make our lives count for what matters forever. In my conversation with John Piper this week, we got to talking about C.T. Studd, a man for whom my son Caleb is partially named after. C.T. Studd was an extremely well-known, wealthy cricket player in England, which may not sound like a big deal to us here. We're not, most of us aren't big cricket fans, but huge deal in England. Like picture like the LeBron James of England, English sports. So that kind of level. Well, he came to Jesus one day, put his faith in Jesus, and his life was gripped. He sold everything he had. Imagine somebody like LeBron doing this. Sold everything he had and moved to China as a missionary. From there, he ended up spreading the gospel in India. And then when he reached retirement age, everybody told him to stop. He decided to go to Sudan, where he died. And his grave became a stepping stone for missionaries across Africa and Asia and South America. Now, I want to be clear. Let me give this caveat. Whenever I use an illustration like this, I can see the objections rising. Like not everybody should be a missionary moving overseas. I obviously know that. I don't believe that. The Bible doesn't teach that. I'm not a missionary overseas. Do I believe the Bible saying many more should be? Absolutely. 
but three billion people have little to no knowledge of the gospel. But the question is not. So just like, just put the objections down. Just let's hear what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. The question is not where we go in our lives. The question is whether or not Jesus is actually Lord of our lives. Lord over our future. Lord over our finances. Lord over our every decision. Lord over our jobs. Lord over it all such that we go wherever. However, do whatever he leads us no matter the cost. That's the picture I want you to see in C.T. Studd. His biographer said his life was a sign to all succeeding generations that it's worthwhile to lose all this world can offer and stake everything on the world to come. His biographer went on and said, Studd's life will be an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. I pray that it would be said of your life, my life, our life together at NBC, that we were an eternal rebuke to easygoing Christianity. And the reason C.T. Studd came up in my conversation this week was because of a poem he wrote about the life that counts. So I think it would be appropriate to read it as we close this time in God's Word because I think it powerfully summarizes what God is saying to you and to me right now. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep. In joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Two stanzas left. Oh, let my love with fervor burn. And from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say to us worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You believe that, it changes the way you live. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And as you do in this room, those who are listening, all kinds of other places, watching. 
just want to ask you right where you're sitting, no matter how old you are, from the youngest to the oldest, like, is Jesus the Lord of your heart? Is Jesus the Lord of your heart? If the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you today, like right now in this holy moment, to say to God, just in your heart to say to him, oh God, today I confess Jesus is Lord of my heart. Today I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the dead. He's exalted at your right hand. And today I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. I receive your love, your forgiveness of my sins, and today I receive through faith in you, based on your love for me, not based on my works for you, your love for me, today I receive eternal life with you. That is a prayer God promises in his word to answer. To all who say that to him and to all who have said that, who say yes, Jesus is Lord of my heart. We pray God to help us to be gripped in these ways. I pray this in my life, in a fresh way today. I pray this over every single brother or sister in Christ who knows you. God, I pray, I pray that they but see Jesus as supremely worthy of all their love and life and hope. I pray that you would help us to see coming heaven as eternally satisfying, a coming hell as eternally horrifying, and to live, to proclaim this gospel here while doing good that brings glory to your name. God, we pray that you would help us to make our lives, this short life, the little bit of time left that I've got here that we have here to make it count maximally for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. What is the state of missions in the world today? Join Radical's global strategy team in a bonus podcast episode airing this Wednesday, December 16th, to hear about the great imbalance that exists in global missions today. Don't miss this special report this Wednesday, December 16th, right here on the Radical with David Platt podcast. That's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at Radical.net.